This is Classical Ideas with Greg Soden. Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden. Earlier this year, a frequent listener of the show sent me an article about the first pagan temple being built in Iceland in 1,000 years. The group, the Ausatru, are the largest non-Christian religious group in all of Iceland, with membership hovering near 4,200 as of early 2018 in a country of only around 330,000 people. The Ausatru website, ausatru.is, states it is a religion or pagan tradition based on tolerance, honesty, respect for cultural heritage, and nature. An ethical point is that each person is responsible for themselves and their actions. The tradition was officially founded in 1972. Simultaneously, a new and old religion, Ausatru includes pre-Christian Icelandic polytheism, like worship of Thor, Odin, and Freya, among others. I found the website, ausatru.is, and sent an email to High Priest Hilmar Orin Hilmarsson, who was enthusiastic to jump on a Skype call to tell me some of the basic beliefs of Ausatru, some details and information regarding their brand new temple in Reykjavik, and to discuss his role and what he does as a high priest. Hilmar Orin Hilmarsson is also a popular musician and composer in Iceland. In addition to learning from him about Ausatru, I've been enjoying his music, particularly his soundtrack collaboration with Sigur Rós to the film Angels of the Universe. I had a great time speaking with Hilmar between our homes in the U.S. and Iceland. I have as many follow-up questions about Ausatru as I did going into our first conversation, but those will need to wait for another day. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Helmar Orin Helmarsson, High Priest of the Ausatru Temple in Iceland. I'm here today with my guest, Hilmar Oren Hilmarsson. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it's a pleasure and a privilege. I'm so glad. So we are here today to talk about Ausatru and the new Ausatru temple that is being built in Iceland. And so, Hilmar, can you just go ahead and briefly introduce yourself to the audience so we kind of know who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Hilmar Örn Hilmarsson. Uh, I'm an Icelandic uh, composer, uh, which somehow ended up as the leader of the Atlantic Ausatrua uh, Fjallaðið, which is the uh, association or the pagan association of Iceland. And uh, so I've, I've been working with the Ausatrua Fjallaðið for uh, nearly 47 years. And uh, so, well, it, it, 
to cut a long story short, I mean, uh, ever since the uh, society was founded in, in the 19, early 1970s, we were always aimed at building a temple, which we are close to uh, finishing now. Excellent. Uh, where in Iceland are is the temple being built? It's being built in this wonderful uh, hillock uh, in Reykjavik, very close to the center. So it, it's a beautiful uh, uh, place. Uh, it's uh, in this area called Öskjulhlíð, which is like this recreational area for Reykjavik, where a lot of people go for walks, and, and uh, it's a very scenic place. So uh, we're actually very happy with the location. Marvelous. You mentioned you're a composer. Can I ask a little bit about what it is that you do in the music world? Uh, I've been involved in so many things. I'm a, 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 it's very hard to classify what I do. I've worked as a, as a composer for uh, both orchestral music, for films mainly, which have been the mainstay of my, my life for the uh, last 30 years. I've produced albums from uh, teenage death metal bands like Sororiside awesome. to, to uh, Chicago blues legends like uh, Jimmy Dawson and 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 and, uh, and other people. So uh, I'm very Catholic in my musical tastes. Uh, to to use that word in in, in the very original meaning. I love that, um, and I am a fan of death metal, so that does not surprise me at all, and I really think that's great. Um, so I want to talk about Ausatru, and I have a mostly North American audience on this show, um, some European as well, but I would imagine that Ausatru is something that is brand new to most listeners, and it's mostly brand new to me as well. I've only been able to read a few articles about it. One was on uh, Atlas Obscura. Um, and another one was on Business Insider, published a recent interview with you as well. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and those are those are easily searchable um, on the internet, and I would highly recommend that people find those um, because they're very compelling and it's very interesting. And so I'm curious about if you could take us way back, how were you first introduced to Alsatru? I, th- I think it's, in, in a way... Something that happened uh, when I was really young, because uh, what most people don't don't realize is that Icelandic culture is is in a way seeped with with all these ideas. We have all, all the old literature as part of our upbringing. We are brought up what is with what is called the Icelandic sagas, which are uh, is literature from the 12th and the 13th century which talks mo- mostly about the pagan past. We are brought up with the old pagan poems, uh, which are called the Attic poems, uh, which have somehow uh, been ingrained in Icelandic culture. So even at the age of nine or ten, I mean, you've, you've been uh, uh, subjected to these ideas, whether you realize it or not. So at the age of ten or eleven, uh, I, I was totally fascinated by, by this heritage. And my uncle, he was doing uh, some lectures on what he called the roots of Icelandic culture. And I, I, I was his biggest fan. I got to carry his transparencies uh, when he was doing the lectures. 
And I was totally sold on this idea that we had this wonderful uh, philosophical religious past uh, that had been written or glossed over. And so I, I think at the age of 11 or 12, I was totally convinced that this mythology, this idea of, of, of life, uh, was something that I, I wanted to uh, well follow. Uh, I w was lucky enough at the, at the age of, of, of uh, 14 that the Icelandic Ausatru uh, Association was formed. Uh, it got a legal recognition a year later. And 11 months after that, uh, at my on my 16th birthday, I could legally join them. And uh, it was, in a way, not very romantic. There were only about 30-odd people who were in the association. Uh, I was told later that I was member number 36. And so we plotted along for a long time. So going from being member number 36 to being the high priest, how have the numbers changed between then when you were 16 joining at number 36 and now how many people are involved currently uh, with the association we are about 5,000 now which means that uh, for the last 11 years we've been the largest non-christian denomination in Iceland and uh, also I think for the last 18 or I should say 19 years because my point of reference is always the year 2000 we've been in a way an accepted part of Icelandic society so uh, we uh, nobody sees us as eccentrics or, or people who are doing some crazy ridiculous things yeah and, and that's really interesting because as a pagan practice um, in the United States paganism is still widely suspected um, of being up to something that is like against the norms of American society so that's really interesting to hear that you guys are widely accepted and not viewed as eccentric. Like That's really interesting to me. I, I think it's a privilege that that, uh, uh, that the whole, that our heritage is, is so uh, recognized that, that it, this is, our, these are our roots, this is what we are. Uh, we, we quote the phrases from the old uh, pagan sayings uh, at every gathering where it's a birthday or it's a celebration of, 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 of a life lived well, uh, whether it's a, it's a, a sort of Christian sort of funeral. So these these things are appropriate to, to how we think and how we behave. Wonderful. So it's gotten much, much larger, so around 5,000 people. So is it getting to the point to where most practitioners are born into the religion, or are people finding it later in life and becoming Aosatru? Uh, it's a bit of both. I mean, what surprised me uh, around 2005 and 2006, that we had a lot of people in their 70s and 80s that joined us. I mean, actually, more than young people. Uh, it was like a lot of people had been sitting on the fence for a long time and realizing, okay, uh, this is has become respectable or whatever the, the, the tone of the phrase could be. And, uh, and but now, I mean, we have about three generations that have been, been raised in Osatru, which I think is fantastic. I've been marrying 
uh, couples. I've been been uh, giving names to their children. I've gone through uh, coming away ceremonies with those children, and uh, probably in two or three years' time, I'll be giving names to their children as well. Wonderful. Okay. So. I'm curious about belief system. Uh, what are some of the basic beliefs in Aosatru practice? Like, what do you guys believe to be, you know, the nature of reality? Well, it's it's very fluid uh, because uh, it's, it's a very individual approach. Uh, I think our, our, our basic tenets are, are about honesty, being an upright person, uh, being a good friend, being a good host, being a good guest. It's all about uh, right behavior. In that sense, I mean, it, it is close to like um, uh, Confucius or, 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 or stuff, the uh, Ch Chinese ethical system of behavior and Marcus Aurelius, the Roman uh, system of, of behavior, which a lot of people overlook because, I mean, everybody wants to see this as being totally assigned to the north but it's a it's a very universal approach is there a text like that is a part of the tenets no we we don't have have a, a sacred text which is human in stone uh, it's not a revealed religion but that is the difference between say a, a, us and most pagan practices and, and what we would call about the monotheistic religions like Judaism, Christianity and Islam, uh, there are no absolutes. There are, there are no thou shalt and thou shalt not. Okay, so you brought up the term monotheistic. And mm. so I'm curious how you would classify deities within Aosatru. Is it polytheistic? Are there literal beliefs in God? Is it like um, a literal or more of like a metaphorical belief in gods and deities? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I, I can only talk about myself, and, and I've been getting a lot of flack for, uh, uh, say, talking about my, my beliefs, and which people have in interpreted like that uh, I wanted people to have the same set of beliefs. Uh, as I said, I mean, Icelandic uh, beliefs are very fluid. Uh, we are, we, we live in this weird country where the ground is, is literally a life beneath your feet. And uh, you can have eruptions, you have uh, earthquakes, you have five types of weather within 10 minutes, which means that you, you're, your stuff, consensual reality has to be very uh, adaptable and so it means that you can have a god or uh, a power that you want to uh, connect with uh, that c could change by the hour I mean you, you could meet this goddess at 9 o'clock in the morning or, or that god at uh, 1pm or another god <laughs> at night so uh, it's a very fluid belief, and, and we are not very good at, at sort of, uh, literal uh, thinking. Uh, we don't have a, a set of prayers or, or, or rituals for, for these things. I mean, we, we have to adapt to whatever uh, is thrown at us uh, at any, any given time. Is there... So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, so I, I think... 
everybody's talking about uh, things like archetypes, like it was something that was invented by Carl Gustav Jung in, in the early, early 20th century. Uh, of, of course, the archetypes I mean, go much further back. I mean, these are this is a Greek term, and uh, and so we have a distinction between between the archetypes, which are sort of like the primal things. We have the distinction of stereotypes, which we have in literature. But in Iceland, we probably have a blend of of both of these things. So uh, we tend to have a poetic approach, which is somewhere between the archetypal and the stereotypical uh, thinking. Are there any particular gods that people may recognize that you guys can also recognize within Osatria? Like, what are some names that you can throw out there as far as the Icelandic mythology goes? Well, I, I think uh, there's a bit of a bias in Iceland because the god Odin is, is or Odin is, is very big in Iceland, and uh, which is totally out of proportion with with. How he was worshipped in the rest of Scandinavia. Odin is the god of poets. He is the god of, of chieftains, uh, and uh, he is also a, a god that has very lax morals when it comes to certain things, <laughs> which I think is very appropriate for the Icelandic character. Uh, so Odin is, has always been honoured in Iceland because we we, uh, we we are very much into uh, writing and poetry. Have always been. Uh, the cliche is that uh, every other Icelander has published a book of poetry, which is nearly true. <laughs> so, so that's why we have Odin. But also, uh, Icelandic uh, Icelandic society has always been uh, very. How can I say it? The the. the uh, the term would be be feministic, but uh, it, it's or, or we we can't even use this of uh, uh, the anthropological terms about this being sort of uh, something that do do with a, a goddess thing, but there's always been a sort of in the the sexes are equal; they've always been equal. In the Icelandic sagas, uh, the women are much, as much protagonists as, as, as the males. So uh, there is always a very sort of feministic slant on, on 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 our sagas, our myths. We've always had very powerful women who decide the, the fate of the family as much as the men, uh, and that never disappeared, even through the Middle Ages, when where women were sub subjected to being stuff second or third uh, in, 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 in the countries around us. So, so you are high priest. Are there, are there more clergy are, um, in, in the specific uh, association that you're in? Oh, yes, yes. There, there are 11 of us. And, uh, and I'm glad to say that we nearly have an e equal distribution from among women and, and males, which are part of the clergy. Excellent. So are you all called high priests? No, no. Uh, I have this title called Alserakode, which is a uniquely Icelandic uh, term. You, you don't find that anywhere else. And 
we're not even sure if, if the title Gore existed outside of Iceland. There is only one runic inscription in Denmark that, that mentioned mentioned that term. So Gore, as we see it, is a very Icelandic uh, and uniquely Icelandic term. Okay. Um, it, it can be both male and female. Excellent. Um, how is authority given to certain people like you um, to become like a high priest or the other title that you mentioned a second ago? Well, I mean, to begin with, I mean, it's just a democratic thing. We, we, our society uh, is very open and democratic, so the members actually choose uh, the people they want to be in charge. And, well, the second thing is that anyone who is stupid enough to <laughs> stuff, uh, shoulder that that that, that thing. Uh, is there like a is there a founder of Alsatru that you know can be credited with starting it as like a formal association? Yes, uh, I, I think we can actually say that uh, our founder is Svenbjörn Dintinsson, who was a, a poet and a farmer, and who was the first Alsherakode, and uh, who was a very fantastic person, and I had the luck and, and the privilege to, to uh, meet, be with him for decades and, and, and learn from him. Uh, so I think it's quite wonderful. I mean, you have this sheep farmer in, in, in the middle of nowhere in the west of Iceland, uh, who was writing poetry since his teens, and uh, and and he became the first Alsherakode. So uh, I, I think, well, for, for the outsiders, these may look like hum humble origins, but for us, I mean, it it looks like someone who was was uni uniquely qualified to lead this movement. So I was reading that there are rituals like during services, and I may mispronounce the word, but is it bloats? Bloats, yes, yes. Okay. So what are the rituals, bloats, that are done, and what might those look like if somebody were to see that being done? Uh, a simple th explanation is, is like a, a bloat, is, is like a communal gathering, whether it's two people who are about to marry or uh, three people with parents and, and a, ch uh, a child which they are going to give a name to. So it's a function of, of the Gordi, the, the, uh, the priest or the priestess, to sanctify uh, the time and space. So uh, the idea is pretty simple, that everything that takes place at, at that time is sacred. So it's like uh, making sure that this has a higher and a deeper uh, meaning for all all consent. So it's not uh, a way of preaching. We we don't talk about how people should behave afterwards or what this will mean personally for them because we we in a way uh, realize that they will take whatever from that moment that that, that is meaningful to to them. So, is there like a weekly service that everybody in the community comes and does no. and comes and gathers? No, no, no. We we have a, a weekly uh, gathering uh, stuff, which is basically discussion. We have uh, 
four cardinal ceremonies during the year. And then we have two other big ceremonies, which are uh, also very popular, uh, where we have people maybe from 60 up to three to 400. Uh, the biggest gathering we had, had was with 1,000 people. But uh, it's not like the church service. Okay, so what would happen during the meeting uh, that happens a few times a year? It, it changes because uh, it, it, it means what time of the year. I mean, if it's, if it's the first day of summer, uh, it will deal with uh, what has happened in the preceding months, what we hope for uh, in the next, next few months. Uh, it it could also be colored by by uh, recent happenings, uh, like I mean, when we had the financial crisis in Iceland. We would address that during the ceremonies. We would tr- address hopes and fears, and also uh, if people who are sort of part of the ceremony want to have a, a remembrance of a, of a relative or someone near and dear who has passed away, that would be included. So in, in a way, it, it's not, it's very fluid. It, it's not set in stone. So uh, every ceremony will, will in a way, uh, be uh, colored by what is happening at that given moment and what has led up to that given moment. I love that. So it's almost like reactive to current events and the current climate as well, isn't it? It has to be. Yes. Excellent. So you are the fastest growing religion in Iceland. Yes. Why do you think that might be? I, I think it's basically because it's so culturally ingrained in Iceland. And, and also, I, I think the main reason for uh, our growth is, 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 is that people, uh, most of the people who attend our ceremonies uh, up till about... Three years ago, it was about 90% would be staunch Lutherans would attend the ceremony just because of, of the demographics. And then people actually realize that our ceremonies are beautiful, they have a meaning, and they can relate to that. So I, I think that is why, why, why people join us. Is, is everybody in the association Icelandic, or do you have people from around Europe and from around the world who have made their way to Iceland have joined up as well? Yeah, if people are, have an Icelandic residency, because we are actually uh, governed by Icelandic laws, which means that everybody who, who has a residency in Iceland can join. But we, we, we don't do outreach, I mean, neither in Iceland or anywhere else. We have a lot of people who want to be sort of associate members, uh, but we can't do that by legal means. Can you tell me about the importance of nature and the natural world to Alsatru? It's always been important because uh, from the time of settlement, we had this idea that uh, the land is inhabited by by. Uh, powers and, and, and beings that we call landvættir, landmites. So uh, one of the things when Iceland was settled was that the, the, the dragon heads of, of, of the ships had to be taken down 
uh, before they, they, they reach land so as not to scare uh, those beings. And uh, among the first settlers, we actually had uh, people who were favored by, by the local, uh, or Latin term would, would be like uh, uh, the genius loci, uh, which we call the landwartig, which are the powers which are uh, part of every stretch of Iceland. And so people had to align themselves with, with, with the local uh, powers of the land. And of course, I mean, they, they would, uh, in a way, be shaped by whether you had a, a, a volcanic, volcanically active area or a, a, an area with, with hot springs or an area with, with salmon fishing or an area with a, a, a mountainous range or an area where you had uh, plentiful fishing. So in a way, people would, would adapt to the localities and, and, and they would address the powers accordingly. Uh, so for us, uh, it's all about aligning yourself uh, to nature and, and, and your local powers instead of fighting them. Do you have a favorite story that is very nature-based that you have loved all of your life? I have lots of them because uh, uh, it's very funny because uh, the attic poems are filled with, with wonderful natural imagery. And, and in Western civilization, we, we have this idea that, that nature was invented when, when Petrarca went up, up, up on a mountain in the 14th century and realized that there was a landscape. So I mean, we have this weird cultural bias that, that nature did not exist in Western thought until the 1400, but in Iceland, and of course, I mean, if you go back to other civilizations, I mean, you look at Egyptian papyrus, you look at, 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 at Shinto in Japan, everybody has, has been appreciating nature except in their narrow Western mind. So uh, nature has always been a, a big thing. It's, it's a humbling thing. It's a universal experience. So that is why we have these this beautiful imagery in the old, old, old poems and the Icelandic sagas. So, uh, the, the, are so there are so many. Excellent. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brain later on in an email, and I'm gonna ask for some book recommendations. So maybe think about some things that you think that uh, have you know decent English translations, because obviously my language abilities are not uh, super diverse. Um, but I would love to be able to read some because these stories sound fantastic and beautiful, and I feel like I have a lot to learn by diving into some Icelandic mythology. So let's move on a little bit to your current building project. You are the first pagan temple built in Iceland in a thousand years, I think is what I read. Yeah, over a thousand years. How did the project get started? Well, it was always a dream uh, that, that we had, and, and back in 1973, when, when uh, the society got legal recognition, one of the first things was that we want to build a temple, and we want to have our own graveyard. Uh, we got our own graveyard in 1999, uh, but after that, we, we, we sort of saw that... that uh, there was a possibility that we could build a temple uh, and we first applied in 
2003 uh, for a, a place in Reykjavik where we could have a temple. And in 2006, we, we got this plot of land in, in Öskilhíð, uh, sort of given by the city of Reykjavik. And so we've been, been working on it ever since. Uh, of, of course, we had some setbacks like the financial crisis uh, in Iceland, where one third of our funds uh, disappeared uh, because we had had them in, in, in Iceland Bank. And but, but we've been, been working frugally towards building this temple, uh, and it, it's it's been been stuff uh, not as easy as we thought, because uh, weirdly enough, being a religious organisation, we are not bankable, <laughs> and, and uh, so uh, the Icelandic banks suddenly have have this principle that they don't lend money to religious buildings, so we have to do this very slowly and and make sure that we can afford every step. So I want to talk about the setup of the building. Is the architecture and the design of the structure important? Like, does it need to face in a certain direction? Um, or does it need to have certain building characteristics or, you know, things like that that are, like, geographically important to the building? Absolutely. And uh, we decided that... The place where we're building is pretty unique, uh, in, in, a, in a geologic, geological sense. So we we had this uh, competition. We tried to get ten architects to, to come up with ideas where we present them with the locality. Uh, we had uh, a, a geologist who had written about the the special aspects of the area. Uh, we had worked worked out uh, where the sun would come up on the summer solstice and the winter solstice, where it would be positioned at the equinoxes, and also uh, at, the, uh, at, at the dates that are important to us, which are the first day of summer and the first day of winter. So we wanted uh, the symbolism of the year and the, the, the sun and how the sun revolves around uh, the areas of during the seasons, we want that to be part of the building. Uh, sadly, we only got eight architects to uh, to send in, 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 in stuff ideas, and we we picked one of them out, uh, which is, is is a person who has, has very much has studied all all these ancient ideas and sacred geometry, and worked that into the building. But the first criteria we had was that we did not want to be built stuff like a film set. And this would not be like Rohan from Lord of the Rings. Right. This, this would be a very modern building, but, but with, with, with references to uh, sacred numbers. Uh, where, uh, and, and we have a lot of those in the old poems. Uh, number nine is very sacred. And that we have sacred numbers like 216 and 432,000, which you can also actually find in Vedic mathematics and in, in Hindu temples in India, which is is is, is actually quite appropriate. And uh, and we 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 found found a reference. There's a wonderful uh, Sri Lankan uh, engineer and architect called Cecil Balmont, who has written a book called Number Nine, 
where he, he is talking about how he has based his designs around the number nine, which is not very big in Western architecture, uh, because we always go by the number 10. But we, we consciously threw the number nine into the whole design. And this is the best aligned building in Icelandic history because we spent about two days uh, having the magnetic <laughs> north mapped out in, in a really precise manner. Uh, I mean, down to stuff, not degrees, but minutes and seconds within those degrees, and probably milliseconds. So what is the inside of the building going to like look like? Can you like paint a picture for listeners around the world, like what they would see if they were to walk into the building? It'll be very stripped because uh, what what happens in that building is that in a way you are go it's a descent into the underworld to begin with because we are going in into the rock uh, on the uh, south side. Uh, uh, which is where you approach, uh, it's even ground, then you move towards the north, and then you have about four meters of, of natural rock formations, which are part of, of, of from the west to the north to the east. So you're in, in a way entering the ground, but eight meters, eight yards above you is, is a dome, which is open to the sky and the sun, and the uh, the passage of the sun, which will then in a way paint uh, the temple with light according to the seasons. So in a way, we don't have any big symbols. We don't have uh, uh, statues of gods uh, as part of it, but we have nature actually uh, showing herself in all her splendor and ever changing through the seasons. Marvelous. <laughs> What do you love about practicing Aosatru? Like, what do you love about it, and why do you choose to do it? It sort of resonates with, with the core of my being, and uh, it has evolved with me and, uh, and uh, through, through uh, my, my growth as a person. I mean, it, I, I found a lot of things in my teens that, that helped me. Uh, forge my own identity as I matured uh, I, I saw some profound things that were then kicked out when I had my, had my first big stuff, uh, stuff, some crisis uh, moments in my life where I would lose someone who was near and dear to me and but I could so, somehow find uh, an aspect that would address that so in a way uh, it's stupid me who is actually involving into into these things and 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 being able to 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 pick up lessons which which are appropriate to any phase of my life Hilmar I have only one more question for you and um that is where can people find more about Alsatru if they want to dive deeper and extend their own learning based on this conversation uh, well, basically, as I said, we, we, we don't do outreach, and we have a very humble step homepage, uh, which is asatru.is. But in the next few months, uh, we will be putting, because of, 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 of a lot of people like you, I mean, who are contacting us, 
we'll be putting out a lot of resources, resources or links to resources, which are mostly not our own, but, but things that we approve of. Uh, because uh, we have always wanted to, to just be a self-contained unit in Iceland. We don't want to dictate people's uh, religious ideas or outlooks anywhere else. But we'll have a, a, some small uh, ideas for everybody. Fantastic. Well, Hilmar Orin Hilmarsson of the Ausatru Temple in Reykjavik, Iceland. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Classical Ideas. Okay, Greg. Thank you so much. Classical Ideas is produced by me, Greg Soden. Music on Classical Ideas is composed and performed by Derek Strybing. You can find his music at www.wearewarmmusic.com. If you like this show, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email me at classicalideas@outlook.com. Or find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash classical ideas podcast. Thanks so much for listening.